When it comes to cybersecurity, reacting to a threat isn't always enough. You have to get ahead and stay ahead of the escalating risks. My name is Sid Yenamander, and I'll be your host for Unencrypted Truth, a podcast powered by Entrada, the leading provider of comprehensive cybersecurity compliance software tools designed specifically for wealth managers and other regulated industries. All season, I'll be interviewing business professionals about what's keeping them up at night and how they're successfully mitigating the looming vulnerabilities that may exist within their firms, whether it's ransomware or cybersecurity compliance. We'll uncover the role cybersecurity education and training plays in preparing an organization for a cyber threat and help clarify the differences between preventative cybersecurity versus cyber insurance. There's a lot of truths to share, so let's unencrypt it together and dive right in. This is your host, Sid Yenamandra. Super excited to have Jason Lish, Chief Information Security Officer of Lumen, join us today. Hi, Jason. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for having me and always good to see you. Yeah, yeah, same here. So Jason, without further ado, give us a little background of yourself and your core responsibility at Lumen. Sure. So for those that aren't familiar with Lumen, due to the, the recent branding change, it was previously CenturyLink. I think everybody's familiar with that you know good or bad basically about 60 percent of the internet traffic goes through us and it's been a culmination of various acquisitions around level three CenturyLink, and other telcos that have come together we are one of the oldest telecom companies um, going back to the mob bell days over 100 years old a little north of 22 23 billion in revenue about 50,000 employees so I joined in April of last year, so I'm actually coming up almost on my one-year anniversary. Prior to that, I spent about 10 years in financial services, various broker-dealers and banks and other combination of uh, financial services. Honeywell, prior to that, about 10 years, and then military is where I actually started my career. The thing is, is having the various um, vertical backgrounds, it's been great. You know, I've been very fortunate in my career so that I can compare different industries and environments and see, you know, really what works, what doesn't. And obviously security's changed a lot in the past 20 plus years, as you know. Yeah. And, and super excited to have you, uh, Jason. I, I still miss the days when you were back at advisor group and we worked uh, yeah. very closely together. Uh, there's not a day that doesn't go by when we don't uh, step back and reminisce. So I have to say uh, good to have you back. It's been a while since I've actually connected with you live this way. So uh, Jason, you know, the main topic for us and, you know, part of the, uh, whole value prop here with the podcast is to talk about some of the core risk areas that folks see. In your role, given what you just described about Lumen and 70% of the internet traffic actually going through the Lumen infrastructure, what are some of the risks that you see out there today that you probably either saw before or didn't see better yet now? I mean, what are you exposed to? What should we be worried about? Well, given that we do have a large portion of traffic that goes through us, we actually have an organization called Black Lotus Labs. And they're basically an intelligence agency within Lumen that actually helps embed certain intelligence in our products. And, you know, we work a lot with the intel agencies in the government. And we have a lot of visibility based on that NetFlow and DNS data. And it's pretty eye-opening, you know, to be able to see and be able to put those dots together across the board. We just released last week, actually, a blog on you know some of the recent ransomware that we were able to, to track down. 
we named North Korea and, and Russia part of those threat actors. In fact, Russia was targeting their own government and we were able to have full visibility and, and be able to, to head some of that off. Think about the null routing that we can do and, and being able to actually uh, get offensive, if that makes sense. So yes, there's some interesting things there. With that, you know, we are a big target as well. The fact that we are a critical infrastructure provider. We work a lot with the government agencies. We're a lot involved in the resiliency exercises, you know, from a worst case scenario planning perspective. And it's very eye-opening to be part of the larger ecosystem. While financial services is important, it's um, there's certain aspects that's critical about it. Being a critical infrastructure provider is a completely different environment, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, totally does. And what a change from some of the challenges that you were dealing with back in the in the independent broker-dealer world to now sort of looking at things holistically at a nation-state threat actor level. I know with some of your own personal background from the U.S. Air Force, this must bring back a lot of, uh, yes. you know, some memories from back in the day. Yes, and the painful exercise to go through the clearance process again. Y- yes, that's right. Jason, you know, for us, you know, in the traditional sort of financial services realm, we've been sort of preaching to a lot of our clients about the challenges of this whole new work from home paradigm, given that folks were investing so much. A lot of organizations and enterprises were investing a lot in cybersecurity, but a lot of it was perimeter-based cybersecurity. Now that the perimeter is blown in many ways and that folks are working from home, there's a whole slew of new threat activity. What are some of the things that you would recommend organizations to be thinking about more from a cybersecurity risk standpoint as we sort of move into 2022? Yeah, you know, first, I don't think this environment that we're we're under is is going away anytime soon. Obviously, the recent um, you know spike in companies yet again shifting gear, starting to cancel in-person events. I know. Personally, for for Lumen, we were looking to come back into the office last November, but obviously that's been pushed out. So I think a combination of that, as well as companies realizing that resources can be productive no matter where they're at. So I think longer term, we've got to think about that we're going to be in this state at this point. So from a control standpoint, to your point, you know, we were relying on those perimeter-based controls, everything funneling through a data center. But as, as you well know, with the proliferation of cloud and SaaS type services, and now with SASE, all these acronyms, right? Oh, that's cyber, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's the world of it's cyber soup. Yeah, so the idea is, is how do we move those controls closer to the workloads, closer to the data, Correct. Um, to those endpoints, regardless of where they're at. You know, we've been having this conversation for quite some time, is that whether I'm working at home in the office or at a Starbucks, or coffee place of your choice, how do I have that, A, that same experience, the same level of protective capabilities, um, regardless of what I'm accessing. So the days of trying to funnel everything back to a central point via, you know, VPN or other type capabilities, we're sort of been moving away from that. And especially over the last couple of years at a rapid pace. So some things that organizations need to think about if they already haven't is if I'm accessing directly to certain services or capabilities, how do I ensure that I have those protective controls on my system or upstream right. and leverage some of those capabilities that now exist within cloud environments? 
So cloud-based proxy, for example, can I, no matter where I'm at, partner with a particular organization to proxy my traffic at the next hop, gotcha. regardless of where I'm at, right? So those are just, for example, I don't, other than to access certain internal systems, I'm hardly on VPN now. And I think we're, we're seeing that, especially for larger organizations where a lot of the resources that we access are directly hosted in, in external environments. But we just need to be thinking about those protective level controls, you know, antivirus, anti-malware, content filtering, you know, all those things happening in real time, no matter where we're at. So Jason, at Lumen, given the footprint of the number of employees, how many employees does Lumen have worldwide? I don't recall the latest count, you know, it's somewhere around uh, 50,000. 50,000. Uh, and, and geographically spread, I'm guessing, all across the world. Yeah, correct. H how does Lumen enforce sort of a sense of cybersecurity control over its extended workforce? I mean, is everybody given sort of laptops that you sort of hand off to everybody with all the requisite tools that you need in order to make sure that they're adhering by policy? Or do you have a BYOD type environment? What's the model? Given the amount of critical infrastructure work that you all do, I'm, I'm guessing that you're at an elevated level of uh, cyber protection. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I would say that we're very persona-based. So if it's an employee, for the most part, uh, everyone gets issued a laptop, especially now, you know, given that we are in a remote environment. You know, we do have the ability for folks to use their own assets and essentially tunnel back with a, a virtual desktop, you know, type image where they're presented basically with a screen that they're able to use to access, you know, various assets. We do allow BYOD in terms of accessing certain resources, you know, like email and other things, but we do require posture checking to ensure that those assets are running certain level of controls. And then for contractors and other non-employees, we do have what what's called a clean room type concept. There's a shim, you know, whether it's Citrix or BDI, you know, that they can access where they're not getting full access to our internal resources. Got it. Yeah. Got it. And how do you, given, you know, sort of internal risk is one big area of focus, what do you all do when it comes to managing external risk and supplier risk? Because we saw last year some of the biggest breaches occurred mm -hmm. not within the firm, but through third-party firms that, and fourth-party relationships that firms had, what is the process that you all employ to manage third-party risk within Lumen? Yeah, I mean, it's you know similar to other organizations around first identifying who our critical vendors are and you know the impact that particular part of that supply chain or ecosystem can have if there was something that did occur. So like a lot of other organizations, we do, you know, our due diligence, both when we onboard a vendor and then we're starting to do it on a regular basis as well. So that concept of continuous monitoring, and we're having a lot of conversations around that is what does continuous monitoring really mean? Does it mean that, you know, we're sending out a 10 question survey once a year and having them test that their controls are still the same? Do we leverage, you know, some sort of scanning type models. There's security reconnaissance capabilities out there. You know, I won't name the particular vendors, but, you know, at least to operate as a canary in the coal mine. So if something does drop below a certain score, you can at least double click on that and uh, investigate further with those vendors. So I think we've come a long way, but, you know, there's still work to do on making sure that we're applying the right level of due diligence for the vendors that matter. 
the biggest challenge that we're facing now, and you know, one of the things that that's keeping me up at night is this has occurred with events like Affium through Microsoft, SolarWinds, uh, the recent Log4J incident. Yep, yep. And that's when you have wide set of software get impacted in multiple vendor platforms. And so now you're not dealing with just one vendor, you're dealing with a threat that is spanning across multiple vendors, you know, depending on where that particular vulnerability is. As more vendors and even, you know, Lumen utilizes open source, it's becoming more of a challenge uh, to identify where those particular exposed pieces of software are. And this is why, like, during the recent White House executive order, they're enforcing all of their suppliers to be able to document their SBOM or their, their software bill of materials. So to have a complete inventory, because many organizations don't know the complete construction of those, the entire application or platform that they're consuming, if that makes sense. Got it. So that's an interesting question, right? Entrada recently was acquired back in 2020. And this is true of not with just our acquisition, but any acquisition. Before an exit occurs, one of the things that a lot of firms will do is run like a black duck mm -hmm. on the software, basically be able to run a complete scan. And there's a lot of different tools uh, that do this, but the ability to basically identify, as you said, the software bomb, all the open source packages that a particular application uses, are those in GPL? Are they not? What are some of the vulnerabilities that might be known for those packages? So is that where the industry is headed in your mind, Jason? Is like, if you work with a supplier and the supplier provides you certain software, it's not just good enough for you to take self-attestation by filling out a form, is actually to run them through a scan and identify software bill of materials within their product? Is that something that you're seeing the industry headed to? Not consistently, but I do see, you know, us as an industry requiring that more, you know, at least being able to put it back on the vendor as a starting point or supplier to be able to produce that list of what all the assets that make up that. Yeah. Or we could go down that path. And, you know, you mentioned Black Duck for open source scanning. You know, there's like check marks that does binary based, you know, scanning capabilities where because a big issue beyond open source is access to the source code to be able to validate Correct. what exactly is in it. But as technology evolved, we're able to at least understand the construction and potential quality of that code coming in. The challenge that we have is that in larger organizations, you have multiple consumers. And from a security perspective, trying to keep tabs on all those different teams and product groups and development organizations and what they're consuming so, you know, the idea is how can we truly shift left and empower those, all those different teams in applying consistent, yeah. you know, methodologies of how they check. Makes sense. And then us operating as a governance, you know, entity from that perspective, but actually holding it, holding PL teams accountable for the security of their own organizations. I think that's the path that we have to go down. So, so it sounds like in your role at Lumen, obviously you've got internal risk that you have to sort of manage relative to all the different software groups that you have, but also all your suppliers. And then you sort of, it's a persona-based model or risk-based approach in terms of where all this sort of comes together. Uh, very, very interesting, Jason. So here's another question for you, right? Yeah. As we sort of think about some of the innovations that are happening around cyber, what are some of the innovations that you're personally super excited about? Like, 
there's, you know, whether it's endpoint, whether it is supply chain risk, whether it's ransomware, whether it's firmware, what are some of the big innovations that you see out there that you're personally excited about for the future? Because we're seeing the industry consolidate. There's more and more yeah. platform companies forming because there's just so many different silos and they all should live under one. What are some of those individual sort of strands that excite you? Yeah, and, and um, there's actually a new category and, and a peer of mine and I were talking about this, but one of those is that cloud validation capability like Wiz and Orca, and you're seeing others come out in this space to be able to validate quickly where there's exposures from a cloud perspective. I think, you know, we've relied too heavily on those cloud providers to enable certain security capabilities. And we've seen a lot of issues and exposures by making those assumptions. So how do we ensure that as we move more to environments like Azure, AWS, um, GCP, that we have a consistent way that we're validating the security across those cloud environments, you know, to not only identify, you know, when there's there's issues. I mean, we, we've actually had instances where parts of our environment stood up to be crypto mining. So they're using our resources. They picked up some credentials on GitHub, you know, logged into directly over to AWS. And then, you know, so how do we quickly identify when those issues occur and be able to A, be more proactive, but B, react quickly, you know, when those issues occur. And I say that just because, you know, we continue to leverage more and more cloud-based resources. So we've got to apply those same security type capabilities, regardless of where the workloads are. So CSPM, so Cloud Security Posture Management, Thank you. right? Yes. It was always my thought that CSPM as a category has existed for a while and there's, there was a lot of players in it. Do you still see a lot of room for innovation in that area that wasn't previously addressed, Jason? No, I, well, I, I see more innovation being stood out by a few select providers, Got it. if you will. Yeah. So I, I think it's evolved significantly over the past even year, year and a half, you know, in terms of, of where it's going. I think there needs to be more innovation in the supply chain space. You know, we, we've had good progression in terms of like shared assessment models and GRC type capabilities where you can automate some of the assessment processes. But going back to that concept of continuous monitoring, what can the marketplace do to get a, a better, to your point, Instead of just attestation, you know, actually scanning and validating that certain capabilities that do exist from a technical and, and control perspective. It's just this whole area of trust but verify, yeah, right, where there's this notion of relying on your vendors and trusting them that they're doing the right things and they're going to bring forth the right information that can help you vet them is an interesting concept. But the problem is, in reality, as a vendor, I can tell you this. We ourselves don't always know right. what some of the vulnerabilities are going forward. And so you you put your best judgment forward, and sometimes that's just not good enough. Yeah. And so I think we're seeing, to your point as well, Jason, is the industry sort of shifting that trust but verify model, just cranking it up just a bit more in the direction of verify. Mm -hmm. And so I think that in itself is an interesting sort of area. Yeah. What about... Just your thoughts, Jason, in terms of if you were to venture off from your current role, hypothetically, mm -hmm. and do something and, you know, pick an area that you'd want to dive deep into within cyber, what area would that be, you know, amongst all the different sort of areas? Would it be at the reporting dashboarding layer where 
you've got data feeds coming from threat feeds coming from all these different places and better visualization of risk. Do you see that as an area of innovation? Do you see actually in the core stacks itself or do, do you see what I'm going with this? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, for me, I still think there's a lot of value in that, that continuous control testing. And the reason why I say that is that there's hundreds and thousands of security vendors and oftentimes you know, we make a lot of investments and layer them on, but we're really not truly understanding the value of all of those controls and how they play together. So, you know, let's say I have 10 tools that are basically helping me to identify threats and, you know, in some cases automatically respond to them. How do I know which ones are really working and which ones, you know, aren't doing what they say? So again, the value and how do I quantify that to show the true investment that I'm getting with mm. that tool, if that makes sense? So yes. I still think that there's a lot of opportunity there to really start to identify which tools are giving us true ROI that they intended to. That's interesting. So so that's sort of diving down into the vendor management realm of with the specific focus around cyber. Is like which cyber tools or cyber vendors are really worth their money? Yeah. Well, and, and and to that point around how we continuously monitor or test our vendors, how do we do that with our tools as well, you know, within our own environments? Yeah, no, no, it makes total sense. So, uh, Jason, one question that I had, and you talked a little bit about Black Lotus Labs and the capability that Lumen has in the area of uh, having your own sort of in-house team of cyber analysts that are constantly sort of looking and sort of identifying threats and holes and plugging them and going pretty deep with it. So mm -hmm. how much of that begs the question of Lumen wanting to do the inside out type approach, similar to what Amazon did with AWS, where they took a lot of the infrastructure that they built for their whole shopping network, their marketplace, and they flipped that out in the form of AWS. How much of that is Lumen planning to do going forward? Or is that something you already do? And that's exactly how we uh, evolve or continue to evolve our, our company from that legacy telco to actually being a technology provider. So it's a good reminder, I actually didn't share that piece. So to that exact point, we've made a significant investment in you know fiber across the world, uh, both public leased and dark fiber. We know that traditional TDM, you know, voice, copper, all of those things are continuing to die off from the traditional telecom type assets. And so what we've started to do over the last couple of years, and one of the reasons why we rebranded is create a platform. It's called the Platform for Amazing Things. So how do we enable that fiber asset infrastructure to have cloud-based, whether it's edge computing, voice, collaboration, security type capabilities directly on that network that you know, basically we don't have to go through other cloud providers and their networks. We own it end to end. You know, the processing and, and the uh, latency is is next to nothing when, you know, it's it's a direct connection to our environment. So, so would you say, Jason, that the core value beyond just the data center infrastructure and colo capability and is the ability to actually own the transport layer as well end to yeah. end? And being able to package that as one big unit, and then you layer in security and you layer in some of the other capabilities, that gives you a package that is somewhat way more comprehensive that enterprises need today, especially with the reality of the way organizations are broken up geographically. And we do it end-to-end -end for customers, too. Again, we're not a software provider. We don't make security products. You know, the way that we position ourselves is a platform. 
So whether they're using Zscaler, or Palo Alto, Fortinet, it doesn't really matter. You know, we can package all of those capabilities on our environment to give them an end-to-end -end solution. So I got you. Yeah, yeah. And then what, what about the traditional business that CenturyLink used to have in the SMB area of being able to drop actually, you know, just carrier services, selling bandwidth, selling voice. Is that still something that you guys are doing? It is, but we're very much more targeted in the markets that we serve. You know, example, we, we announced a, a set of divestitures last year of assets that we felt like would be in the better care of, of somebody else that can really invest in those markets. So, you know, about 20 states, we sold off Latin America, more for those residential, you know, type services Got it. that really need a lot of investment, you know, because they're becoming legacy. And so somebody else that really wants to, you know, pick those up and transform those from that standpoint, we've introduced something called uh, quantum fiber. And basically that's fiber to the home, but then we're able to wrap a lot of other capabilities from a security, you know, monitoring, reporting, all those things that get packaged into that whole experience, you know, into the markets that we're really going to serve as Phoenix, California, Colorado, Nevada, you know, those type of markets that are continuing to grow. And we're focusing on density. So, you know, dense populated areas, uh, obviously from a margin standpoint. So that's great. Exciting times ahead. I wanted to thank you, Jason, for taking the time that you did today to speak to us. Always excited to have you given your knowledge and visibility in the area. It's just a tremendous pleasure. Hopefully this won't be the last time. It'll be the first of many. Yeah. But I appreciate uh, you taking the time today. Yeah, likewise. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Unencrypted Truth. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. To learn more about how Entrada can provide comprehensive cybersecurity software to protect your client data, visit entrada.com forward slash podcast. And please be sure to follow, rate, and review this show wherever you listen to your audio content. We'll be back with even more truths to unencrypt on our next episode.